Welcome to the Let's Talk uh, Internet Computer Podcast, ICP. The guest today is uh, the Senior Technical Program Manager at the Definity Foundation, uh, Dieter Sommer. He has uh, earned a master's degree in computer science with a focus on computer security and a minor in business administration as well, as a PhD in computer security. And to introduce a little bit more about uh, Dieter, um, he started his professional career at IBM Research Zurich, where he was working with uh, Jan Kamenis, the Definity Foundation CTO, on system aspects of the Identity Mixer Anonymous Credential System. That was as well his PhD topic. Uh, he was working during 11 years at IBM Research, uh, moved to the other positions of a research staff member and advisory project manager, leading uh, large international R&D projects. Uh, also, he was involved in engineering and architecture and has filled multiple patents, mostly in the area of computer security. It's an excellent uh, resume. And thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today, Dieter Sommer, to being with us and for accepting the invitation. Thanks, Carrie, for the nice introduction. That's actually very well-informed in introduction. Uh, yeah, I'm very happy to be here today. Thanks for having me and let's get started. Great, perfect, cool. Uh, also, I already made a brief introduction about you, but please, Dieter, tell us a little bit more about uh, yourself, your yeah, your PhD related, uh, your wide trajectory on IBM. The audience mm -hmm. want to know more about, about you. Yeah. And even before to start in Definity, uh, maybe even your hobbies or, or what are you doing, you know, like <laughs> know more about the Dieter Sommer, please. Sounds good. Let's get started then, yes. Yeah, so like my career in computer security essentially started um, with an internship at IBM Research in Zurich or Rüschlikon to be precise, where I met Jan also the first time. This was, I think, in late 2001, early 2002. Then I did some internship related to the Identinix Anonymous Credential System, which was privacy. And then privacy determined my career for quite some time, including my PhD. So I worked in privacy until 2015, 16. This is when I left IBM Research. Uh, and then after that, I went to real industry, so to say, doing work as software engineers. I was software engineer for e-banking security. Uh, we had, so the company I was with had uh, clients in the private and retail banking industry and we did secure authentication systems for them. In another company I was working for, I was, also working in the area of computer security. And this was even when I did my first blockchain. This was around yeah, 2017 or so, uh, my first blockchain project around 2017, which was an e-ticketing system on the IBM Hyperledger blockchain at the time, but that wasn't at IBM anymore. Yeah, and then my final job before I joined Definity was the uh, was at the large uh, Swiss bank being the security architect of the overall banking group. And then it took me to Definity. So I got uh, contacted by Jan and went, uh, yeah, joined Definity uh, as the senior technical program manager. And it's it's been a really cool time at Definity. I've been there for roughly one and a half years. And my main my main area I'm working in there is integrations of the internet computer with other ecosystems, like for example, integration with other blockchains, like it was early on extremely deeply involved in the Bitcoin uh, project. 
then also the HTTP outcalls feature, which is, an, which is an essentially an integration with all the web 2.0 services or APIs that was, a, was deeply involved in. And now is the Ethereum integration coming up, which also I am currently uh, starting up and bootstrapping and yeah, getting it into the right direction. Mm -hmm. Cool. So that, that's from a work life, I mean, private life wise, what I like to do a lot is going out into the nature, mainly doing hiking, like in summer, going up mountains, like up to three and a half thousand meters typically, but that's the max. So typically it's a bit less. So the oh. less dangerous things that you can still hike without climbing or without too much climbing, at least here and there, there's some little climbing passages, but I try to avoid it if possible. But here and there, it gives you a, give a certain kick. So yeah. Mm -hmm. And in winter, I do like a lot of uh, snowshoe hiking and also winter hiking. So, so winter hiking essentially is hiking on trails which uh, don't have deep snow, but they do have snow. And snowshoe hiking is hiking in the deep snow with these special high surface area snowshoes so that you don't sink in too much. So those are the things I like to do in winter. I've given up on skiing a long time ago. That's maybe something I would pick up again, but yeah, I haven't had time so far. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Good, really good. for me currently in my spare time and yeah, meeting friends for good conversations and, and having good food. That's another hobbies of mine, so to say. Nice. Good hobbies. And yeah, for the hiking, Zurich is a great place, right? Like it's around mountains. Yes, it's good. It's pretty good. Yeah. I guess Canada is pretty nice as well for this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I live in British Columbia. It's really yeah. awesome for explore and do hiking and all these type yeah. of things. Yeah, I love it as well. I think um, one of the advantages of Zurich is that you don't have those dangerous bears and animals around as you do in, in North America. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Here is a lot of cougars and, and birds. Yeah, for and sure. cougars, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah true. Uh, nice, nice. Thank you for, for your introduction, for your presentation. Um, I'm curious as well about the, how did you find out um, about the internet computer? How was this process to accept the offer or, or, and bet on the Definitive Foundation? Who convinced you to participate in this amazing project in the, the, in the internet computer, the world computer, and also the, the Definitive Foundation, the major contributor of, of this uh, blockchain? I'm not sure if maybe it was Jan, <laughs> because you met Jan before, in, you, you said in 2001 or 2002, but I'm curious how you like, what was your first approach to internet computer and why you, you like, uh, your, your first thoughts about, oh, wow, this is pretty huge, the, the Dominic Williams project, and in general, the, the Definitive Foundation project. What was the first, the first steps to, to join? So the first steps were that I heard, so the first contact with the internet computer at all was um, a barbecue party that Jan organized for when he and some early joiners decided to leave IBM and to join Definity. And at this party, I first got to know about the internet computer, but then didn't follow up yet much with it. So and then the next uh, thing was when my first work colleague uh, joined the internet computer and quit the job at the company I was in. And then I got more interested in it. Even before, it, I got a bit uh, interested in it already by uh, talking to various, yeah, to, by talking to essentially this person and also uh, by another event, which was a, the office opening party in Zurich, uh, where I was invited by Jan and, and, or somebody in his team. And yeah, then I did some, did start to do a bit research and found it pretty interesting. Looked at, uh, watched Tom's talks and read what Tom was saying on the internet. 
I got the whole thing of blockchain singularity and doing a completely new approach to blockchain, like giving up proof of work, giving up just copy pasting other blockchain projects, but building something completely new from ground up sounded very exciting. And of course, I knew Jan very well and the other early joiners, which means I knew that there is high potential people behind it. And then I got more and more interested. Of course, I was in a daily job in a very stressful role. So I then didn't apply, apply immediately, but yeah, I was drowned again in daily work. And But again and again, I was thinking about it. And yeah, then a year or so passed. And, and then at some point, uh, I started talking seriously with Jan. And, and yeah, then we started an interviewing process and things. And then, yeah, it was going very quickly. And I actually assigned the offer before the launch and joined after the, after the launch. Mm -hmm. Nice. That's a great, a great story. Um, the process that you joined Definity. And uh, my question here is um, uh, for Dieter, what is your daily, uh, day to day in, in a Definity, your daily tasks? Uh, what projects are, have you worked on, on Definity now? Yeah, uh, yeah in, in like regular day. Uh, the other Very good question. The, so it differs a lot. Day. I mean, yeah, I'm doing different kind of things. So currently, let's say the current days are yeah split between different things. Like one is working on architecture and system design for Ethereum. Mm -hmm. Then you have a couple of meetings all the time with respect to this with others to to uh, align thoughts and things like this. But then also. Um, I'm working with Jan on, on defining more the strategic aspects of this uh, project and working with engineering to uh, define which teams to work on and also drilling down on various aspects of the design, working with research on our research colleagues um, of various groups to figure out uh, what yeah very specific technical decisions we need need to make and, and how to best do them. And then one very big aspect I am having on my plate every day is working with the community, which I enjoy a lot. So I'm working currently with the community on Ethereum integration phase one. We will come to this maybe later in more detail, but phase one is a short-term solution for Ethereum integration, which is based on HTTPS outcalls to cloud nodes to uh, reach into the Ethereum blockchain. And we are currently working with the community on the one hand to get things done here. So the community helps here a lot. And then also uh, with the first projects who want to pick this up. And then of course we need to ensure that the API offered now is very similar to the one later. So yeah, this is community uh, discussions. So discussing with individual community members, discussing on the forum, on Discord, so to really help the community to understand all the things we are doing getting feedback from the community, which is a very valuable input uh, to us. And of course, also to uh, yeah, put our ideas out to, to the community and have them challenged in some way. Yeah, so that's probably maybe to the quickest way to describe it. Mm -hmm. And this is a very enjoyable thing because you meet a broad diversity of people from US, Europe, China, Africa with whom you work. And, and yeah, this is this aspect I enjoy a lot. So it's very diverse. So yeah, my day is currently quite um, quite partitioned between different forms of activities. It's usually very long days those days in order to get things done. But yeah, it's lots of fun to, to work on those exciting things like Ethereum integration. That's a particularly cool project, I think, and also particularly important for the IC. Yeah. 
that sounds hectic, your days, hustle, and maybe could we say like you are the connector between different parts in Definity, right? Because you connect- yeah, In some way, with yeah, the in some way that's the role, yes. Yeah, in some way that's my role, but yeah, so so I'm talking to, to research, to, to engineering, but also to the community. So in some way I'm, integrate, I'm an integration point of communication flows here, yes. Okay, yeah. I did an interview uh, a few weeks ago with Diego Prats. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think that Diego is a, have like a similar role in a way that he's connect a lot with uh, community and also with the R&D departments and technology. Uh, for sure, it's different uh, tasks or different roles, but sounds something familiar for me, both yeah. of them. Yeah. I think that is, yeah, and I think Diego is much, much deeper connected with the community that, that, than I am at the current point. He has been working with the community, I think, from the very beginning, and he knows many more people than I do. I, I'm building up my relationships, but it's also going very well, I think. Uh -huh. Great. And then I'm also so I'm also traveling here and there to certain events like conferences to give presentations about the IC. Um, I might be traveling, yeah, I might be traveling to some meetings where we meet community members and things like this. So it's also yeah helping uh, bring ideas over, get input from the community, yeah, facilitating in some way. Mm -hmm. Cool. One thing I'm not doing in my role at the current time is programming, which is a pity, but yeah, that's programming. Yeah. yeah. But you have huge knowledge. I, I have well. been programming in in previous uh, steps in my career. So I had two jobs where I was security engineer at IBM. I was doing programming. Mm -hmm. I'm now uh, doing a bit of some Rust programming in my spare time, but not too much because the time is like, but I'm I'm getting into it and uh, yeah, learning a language and it's a really cool one. Yeah. I like it a lot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can split it. <laughs> Maybe you can clone another, uh, the other summer to do these activities. Yeah. This would be nice. Great. Uh, yes, here on the Let's Talk ICP podcast, we have a, a, a wide community on the, um, with different backgrounds, uh, legal, finance, tech, um, and without digging a lot of very technical, complex aspects, I'm curious mm, to know more about the Bitcoin integration and the CKBTC aspects um, for people that don't know anything or think it's like just another wrap uh, mm -hmm. Bitcoin. Um, what yeah. is exactly the, the Bitcoin integration? Why this milestone is so important for the mm -hmm. for the Internet Computer Ecosystem and the, for the Definity Foundation? And what do you think the CKBTC is the the best solution or the best token for the uh, mm -hmm. Bitcoin? Good questions. Yeah. So let's get started. So yeah, let's let's try to explain Bitcoin integration on a very non-technical level. Uh, but still explain some some of the specifics of it. So let's take a couple of steps back first and look at how Bitcoin works. So Bitcoin is essentially a decentralized ledger. So a decentralized book, which keeps track of uh, which account owns how much Bitcoin. And that's essentially what Bitcoin provides. And this is done in a secure way by proof of work mining. I mean, we all, I think, know about how this works roughly. I won't go into this. But let's now look at how this ledger works. It's not a ledger like the ledgers on the internet computer where you have an account and then you have a number of Satoshis, the denominator of Bitcoin uh, listed, listed there, but it's a different model. It's a so-called UTXO model, the unspent transaction output model. 
And this UTXO model works as follows. Whenever a transaction is made new, so then some old UTXOs are consumed. So UTXOs are unspent transaction outputs. Essentially, that's what coins are. So a UTXO is a coin you can spend. And when you spend it, uh, then it's not spendable anymore. Then, it, then it's a spent uh, transaction output. Then it's gone. Then it's there for the history. And then new UTXOs are created in a transaction when I transfer one or more uh, UTXOs to somebody else. So the old UTXOs you put into a transaction as input UTXOs, they get consumed and new UTXOs, new coins are created. And via this, uh, you can trace through uh, the whole history of transactions when you have access to the whole blockchain state. So that's how Bitcoin works. It's a very scalable model because you don't have a single uh, ledger implementation that uh, can could be a bottleneck. So that's a big advantage of it. It's a bit complex also because whenever you make a transaction, you don't just deduct the balance from your ledger account and add it to the recipient's ledger account, but you need to see which UTXOs you have, so which spendable coins you have. And then you need to make a selection of those spendable coins. And then uh, you need to assemble the transaction with a subset of the, your spendable coins and then have them consumed in the transaction. And then somebody else, like for example, you would get a new UTXO created and you could then spend this one with your private key. So that's the way how UTXOs roughly work in Bit uh, this UTXO model in Bitcoin roughly works. And of course, in order to spend an unspent transaction output or a coin, you need to sign uh, it with the underlying private key, which corresponds to the public key to which they have originally been transferred. And the signature, so let's maybe now go into the signature process. So for this, we can do it in a trustless way using threshold EasyDSA. Threshold EasyDSA is nothing else but an EasyDSA implementation as a multi-party computation cryptographic protocol which uh, allows that a whole subnet together can sign transactions instead of a single party. So it's a much more powerful scheme than things like multi-signatures or things like this, because it allows us to have a completely trustless signing oracle on the blockchain. Essentially, you can imagine the threshold EasyDSA implementation being like an hardware security module that resides on chain, but there's no special hardware, but the security is realized as a cryptographic protocol. And this, any canister can use in order to get transactions signed. So the signing part now we briefly discussed. And now let's come back to the UTXO things we discussed before, so we, where we left off. So Bitcoin uses UTXOs. And when you make a transaction, you need to know which UTXOs you have. And then you select a subset of them. And then you create a signature using threshold EasyDSA. And then you can send the transaction into the Bitcoin network. So how do we do that on the internet computer? We did uh, the following architecture. We decided we have one subnet for now, which offers an API to any canister on the internet computer using cross-net communication. Mm -hmm. And this API now offers um, two endpoints. One is to query the UTXOs a specific Bitcoin address has. And the other one is to submit the transaction. And that's enough. I mean, we have some convenience endpoints like querying the balance, but that's just, you can do that essentially by just querying the UTX, always computing the balance from those. So that's just convenience. In the end, you need to get UTXOs. You need to be able to send transactions. So those two things we needed to resolve. And now there's multiple options how you can do this. We wanted a trustless integration. That, that was a premier requirement. So meaning we don't want to introduce new trust assumptions 
next to those that the internet computer has and next to those that the Bitcoin network has. So no trust assumptions, also no intermediaries in between those two networks in the integration. So there's not no one in between uh, in the integration. And now there's multiple ways you could do this. Mm -hmm. And the strongest one, and that's the one we chose for Bitcoin, is that you run essentially a full Bitcoin node on the blockchain. That's very tough in some ways because a full Bitcoin node has quite some uh, storage requirements. So what we did in the end, we said we don't have a full node like uh, that also stores all the blocks and transactions, but we have something that's close to a full node. It stores the full UTXO set which is in a compressed representation, 10 gigabytes. In the working representation with all the indices and stuff we need in the chemistry implementation, now it is roughly 30 to 40 gigabytes. So that's what we need to manage in terms of state for doing the Bitcoin integration in a smart contract. So no other smart contract in the world, I think, hosts that much uh, storage. This is pretty cool that we could do this because I think no one has, I'm, I'm sure no one has done that before to run a full bit or a Bitcoin node with the full UTXO set on a blockchain. So that's novel. That's really the first time in the world somebody has done something like this. And what you can do now is, is you can just query the smart contract and ask, hey, what's the UTXO set of this Bitcoin address? And then you get back a UTXO set. You can query any Bitcoin address and you pay cycles for the query. And now if you make a transaction, you just query your Bitcoin addresses and then you know which UTXOs you could still spend. And then you use threshold ECDs I mentioned earlier in order to spend it. So to put the transaction together, sign the UTXOs and send the transaction off. And sending off is again done via this Bitcoin API on the blockchain. And now uh, I talked about that we have all the Bitcoin state on the blockchain, how how did we get how do we get the information into the blockchain? So for this, we built what we call the Bitcoin adapter. So that's a small component that lives on all the replicas of the enabled subnet and which connects like a normal Bitcoin node into the Bitcoin network to a random set of Bitcoin nodes. And then those adapters pull in all the new Bitcoin blocks that are produced by the Bitcoin network, essentially with no delay. So uh, we are widely, deeply connected into the, into the Bitcoin network to maybe 100, 200 nodes uh, from this subnet. And whenever a new block is mined and propagated in the Bitcoin network, it reaches us at the same time it reaches other nodes in the Bitcoin network. And then when it, re it reaches the internet computer, the blocks are passed up through the consensus uh, layer in a way like an ingress message. So we don't need consensus of multiple nodes on the payload because the payload is self-validating in a way because it contains the proof of work of Bitcoin. This makes it very nice because both the IC and the internet computer are asynchronous networks, meaning that we don't have any asynchronicity problems here because just one of the nodes needs to submit the block, like an ingress message, and then this, this message gets uh, through consensus and reaches the Bitcoin uh, smart contract implementation and then the smart contract extracts all the transactions, and then it uh, maintains the current UTXO set. So every transaction consumes some UTXOs that are in the previous UTXO set, and then adds newly created UTXOs to the new UTXO set. And by this, we transition, we make a state transition essentially with each Bitcoin block from an old to a new UTXO set that considers all the transactions in the Bitcoin block and removes the spent UTXOs, the spent coins, and adds the newly created coins. And via this, we can track very well all the 
coins that are spendable on the Bitcoin network, which is uh, essentially the main thing of this Bitcoin integration, what it does. Okay. And yeah, this is very powerful in terms of no uh, additional body being required. So we don't need a party to, to put blocks into the internet computer. It's done by this native integration at the network level with these Bitcoin adapters. And we don't need to trust anybody for holding a signature key because the signature key is held in the trust model of the internet computer with threshold DCDSA. So that, that's really cool also. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, before to dig more in the CKVTC, uh, this is really cool, the, the Bitcoin integration, because as you said, it's like a, a, we have totally lack of intermediaries um, directly connect Bitcoin with the smart contracts, uh, with the canisters on internet computer. It's trust in the technology, in the technology, right? Not trust in the centralized parties uh, or, or third exactly. parties that we can have like a lot of high risk uh, in terms of uh, hacks, in terms of uh, steal money, uh, different individual errors or mistakes, uh, like different hard strategies or, or like uh, investment strategies with high risk. That, that This is really cool that um, Definity has achieved. And also I have like a different examples, for example, like the, if you um, trust in a middle person, uh, you can have like problems. For example, in the Solana one, the rapid Bitcoin, the problem that they have like with the with the FTX, um, that because the thing is uh, the rapid Bitcoin is linked exactly with the Bitcoin, right? Uh, like Solana one or Ethereum one, and depends uh, the people trusting these uh, coins uh, and the, in the rapid Bitcoins, and also sometimes can do like uh, problems, and maybe the parity is not one one right maybe like down as we said like in the ftx uh, problems or with winter exactly. music, right that last year stole like 160 millions uh the mango markets with the binance smart chain uh nomad bridge we have a lot of examples that uh with hackings and 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 people that stole money directly from from the bitcoin and the, the bridge because you need to trust in two ways you need to trust in bitcoin that's perfect but you need to trust in in other entities like the intermediaries exactly, yeah. okay my question here is um what is the limitations for the in bitcoin integration because you did like the milestone of the integrate directly bitcoin but then you do the ckbtc why you did the ckbtc what is exactly the limitations because it's under the bitcoin ledger it means the fees it means uh the time right the the confirmations uh, tokens like uh, minutes uh, what is exactly you can explain a little bit more the limitations for the uh, yes, of course so you hinted already at some of the things uh so the native bitcoin integration that i explained means that a, a canister is acting like a regular user on the Bitcoin network. So every transaction using the native integration goes via the Bitcoin network. So whenever you make a transaction, you make it on the Bitcoin network, which means you need to pay the Bitcoin fees, which is which is one to two or three dollars per transaction. You need uh, to wait a given time, like six blocks is typically, until a transaction team is deemed confirmed. Like the block time is roughly 10 minutes and then you say you wait six blocks after the transaction to have somewhat good confirmation. So it has a long uh, latency. Then we don't really have finality even after six blocks. There's no finality. It's just that the probability of this being considered final uh, increases, but there's no true finality as is on the internet computer. Yeah, and then the throughput of the Bitcoin network is not very high. It's like 
10 to 15 transactions per second. So there's lots of issues here that are just how Bitcoin works. I mean, Bitcoin is just slow in terms of latency, as we say, 10 minute block time, multiple blocks to be waited uh, until confirmation. The fees are high per transaction, more than a dollar, and the transaction throughput per second is not particularly high. So all those things mean you can't use Bitcoin itself as a widely accepted payment scheme because there's not just too many transactions. And also, if you want to buy a coffee in a coffee shop, it's not practically to wait uh, for too long until the transaction is confirmed. So there's many issues here when using Bitcoin in in day-to-day -day transactions, normal people would want to use something like this for. So what we did now is to essentially bring Bitcoin onto the IC in a way that they can be transferred quickly with low fees and with high throughput. And this is chain key BTC. So it's an on-chain Bitcoin with those properties. So this fast, cheap to transfer and high throughput. And those properties are properties you want from, from a currency, from a cryptocurrency that's, uh, that should be used widely. And now this you can use on the IC in a very, very fast way, one to two seconds finality. You pay a fraction of a dollar or a fraction of a cent probably even of transaction costs, like for the other crypto transfers on the IC. And you can do many more transactions per second than you can do in the Bitcoin network. So all those properties that we achieve with the CKBTC or the internet computer achieves with CKBTC uh, are properties Bitcoin itself would not be able to achieve. And that's why we decided we need something like uh, the CKBTC. And the important thing again is that there is no trusted intermediary beyond uh, in the way between the Bitcoin and the CKBTC. So you mentioned wrapping before. So CKBTC is not wrapping because wrapping, if you look up wrapping on your preferred search engine, all the links on the first page will mention a trusted party involved in wrapping. We don't have a trusted party, which means we don't do wrapping with CKBTC. Some people might say, so it's a definitorial issue, but we say we think it's not wrapping because wrapping is always uh, referring to a trusted intermediary. What CKBTC does is essentially that the smart contract uh, is the custodian, so to say, of the Bitcoin that backed the wrapped Bitcoin and then the uh, that back the CKBTC and then the CKBTC are 100% backed by real Bitcoin held by, by a smart contract and there's no person or group of persons involved. It's really just the security of the internet computer that you use an assumption here. And then you have something like you have essentially Bitcoin on the internet computer. So it's essentially the same token, just with different properties. That That's the nice thing. So it's mm -hmm. really Bitcoin on the IC. That's how we see it. Okay. And, and to explain in an easy words, how it works exactly the CKBTC, because when you buy like a, a the real Bitcoin, you transfer into the canister, the CKBTC, the, the real Bitcoin and change into the CKBTC. Yes. But the, but the subjacent or the underlying Bitcoin is held there in the canister. Um, how it works in terms of like security, how we can um, track the real Bitcoin. And then once we want to change again, the CKBTC to the Bitcoin, um, this process, because yeah, mm -hmm. security is pretty important. I think uh, that you, as you mentioned, it's not a rapid Bitcoin because you just trust in, in, in the Bitcoin and internet computer, everything through the smart contract. Um, how it works exactly this conversion? 
let me explain. Yeah, so, so the conversion in the in the eyes of a user, it looks very much like a wrapped Bitcoin, but it's just more secure with the better trust model. So essentially what you do is uh, you obtain a Bitcoin address where you send your Bitcoin to that you want to have wrapped. This is done with the so-called CKBTC minter. So that's the one that uh, receives then the Bitcoin from you. And once you have this address, you make a Bitcoin transfer on the Bitcoin network and transfer the amount of Bitcoin you want to have wrapped uh, to the uh, minter. And then the minter will receive them and will wait for some confirmations. Currently, we have a very uh, long waiting time still in the early phase. This will be reduced probably later. And then once uh, this uh, delay is over, uh, you can uh, make another call uh, to the canister to receive essentially uh, your CKBTC. And then uh, you have the CKBTC, which are exactly the same number of uh, Bitcoin or Satoshis that you transfer to the ledger, that you get, then you get them on your account on the CKBTC ledger uh, canister. And the, C, the, the real Bitcoin that you transfer to the minter remains on the minter. So mm -hmm. this remains there and remains on the minter as long as this CKBTC remain in circulation. And then of course, so, and yeah, what, what this gives us is a system where we have always as much real Bitcoin in the system as there is CKBTC issued. And there is nobody who can run away with Bitcoin and make a rug pull, that's the important thing. And there can be no FTX that can default uh, like happened last year and all the wrapped uh, tokens they were custodian for were, would, go, would go away. So this is not possible in our model because there is no centralized party that has any responsibilities here that could either be hacked or be dishonest or default or whatever. So we get rid of all those attack vectors, meaning we have this one-to-one -one, uh, ratio between Bitcoin held on chain by a smart contract and CKBTC in circulation. And now, of course, at some point, people will want to check out CKBTC again, uh, redeem, this, redeem the real Bitcoin uh, behind the CKBTC, and then you do the reverse thing. So you transfer the CKBTC that you want to uh, get out of the system again uh, to the minter, and then you instruct it to make this uh, reverse process. And then what happens is that the CKBTC gets burned and the Bitcoin behind it gets transferred back uh, to an address you specify. And then your CKBTC gets uh, converted to real Bitcoin again to an address that you can specify. And of course, that need not be, and typically will not be the same uh, Bitcoin UTXOs that you send in, but it will be some others that are available because somebody else might have already taken out the ones you originally brought in. So you, you won't get the same ones necessarily, but that doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, and then uh, another cool thing is that the canister, the smart contract that we hold the Bitcoin, the owner is the NNS, right? The, the DAO of Internet yes. Computer. The, um, okay, it means uh, if you want to change, update, or do anything um, in this canister, it's like a process, right? We need to, to do like a proposal. The proposal needs to, to be accepted or rejected. This is another layer, right? This is another um, level for like uh, mitigated risks, right? Because you can- Exactly, yeah. Essentially, I would say it's a prerequisite in order to have to call the thing decentralized because if, for example, Definity would run this canister, it wouldn't be decentralized but because then we could alone 
do something that the community wouldn't agree to and that would be against the specification um, of this thing, like transfer all the Bitcoin to my account. And yeah, we don't want this. And that's why we need uh, the governance by the NNS, as you said, which means the whole internet computer community behind the NNS DAO can decide on what happens and they decide on, on every upgrade. And every upgrade can be checked in the source code, what's being done. So this way we can be sure and make it very transparent what happens to it. So that's the only way. This one or black holding is the only way to make it decentralized. And black holding is not an option for such a complex system currently because you might want to fix bugs you stumble upon and things like this. And also you might want to add functionality. So it's still things being built. So black holing it would currently not be an issue for this reason. But the DAO is a very good thing. And the internet commuter has these powerful features that you can subject your smart contracts to a DAO and have them managed. So other blockchains don't have this, which I think is a very, very powerful feature of the IC because you can do software development in a more, much more realistic way because software does evolve over time. And having a smart contract that needs to be fixed forever is not, I think, the right model for many things, particularly for more complex steps and also steps that need to evolve. Okay. Um, and, and another topic that I want to talk uh, before to dig in more in the Ethereum uh, integration and the new phases that you are doing and you are dealing is about the illicit activities on, on the CKBTC or Bitcoin integration. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, um, yes, we definitely are addressing this, this problem. The goal is mitigate the risk tainted Bitcoin. Uh, I read like a Jan Kameny's uh, forum. Also, uh, I know like uh, Tonic Labs and Bob Bob Dilly uh, has been taking this initiative uh, to mitigate the, this, this risk. Um, I read as well like the the know your transaction compliance that mm -hmm. is different. The K KYT is different to the KYC. They know your client. Um, yeah, I, I would like to clarify if you have like any uh, opinion of that. How we can address this uh, problem uh, associated with illicit activities? Um, yes, uh, not sure exactly. Mm -hmm because it's pretty something pretty new, but it's good yep. that definitely try to address this, this problem as well. Very good question and very hot topic and heavily discussed topic currently. So mm -hmm. know your transaction, what's that about? So one month ago or so before, before we were close to launching the CKBTC, Canister and Minter, we did some due diligence and looked at risks. And one of the risks that came out was that some people who hold Bitcoin, which are acquired from illegal activities, think of or are used have been used for illegal activities, think of terrorism acquired by hacking, uh, acquired from drug or narcotics or other illegal substances, marketplaces, or things like this. So illegal activities illicit activities and such Bitcoin, if they would get into the uh, CKBTC system, uh, it could happen that, or it would happen that uh, the person who puts them in could uh, get some CKBTC and then do some money laundering and get, for example, go to a decentralized exchange and cash out ICB tokens in exchange and then uh, have their dirty CKBTC, uh, their dirty Bitcoin laundered, so to say. And then, an innocent user who puts some of the savings uh, into cryptocurrencies, they, for example, exchanged uh, 
ICP tokens to CKBTC on exchange and then want to check out CKBTC to hold a real Bitcoin for a longer time or cash them out to, to fiat currency. So this would be a typical scenario. And then it could happen or it would typically happen at some point that those uh, illicit uh, Bitcoin UTXOs that the bad guys have brought into the system would be used again uh, uh, to uh, get through get real Bitcoin to the user who redeems their CKBTC. And then this user would have a problem when trying to get fiat currency, for example, on a centralized exchange using those UTXOs. Eventually, they might get them, but they would need to run through lots of processes of proving where the Bitcoin came from and things like this, then the heightened requirements for know your customer and so on. So they would go through a real uh, a real troublesome procedure that might take quite some time before they could uh, essentially uh, have the Bitcoin in a uh, proper way and, and then change them to other tokens or be sure that those Bitcoins are now uh, fine again. And, and this we think, yeah, there's also risk that they would not be able to go through this procedure and their Bitcoin would just be not accepted by other parties. So those risks are there for end users. And we said, this is not a very good thing because then it might be uh, slowing adoption and many people would just not want those kinds of risks. Mm -hmm. And that's why we decided that we need some way to prevent with a good probability and with a suitable mechanism, those illicit uh, transfers from coming into the internet computer ecosystem. And also we want to prevent that the CKBTC mentor, minter uh, transfers Bitcoin to certain addresses that are associated with terrorists, for example, because that's also something you don't want to do. I mean, this is frowned upon uh, all over the world and then you better are compliant with those regulations and not violate them. So those are things that are just uh, no-brainers to do in many ways. And what we are working on now is an integration with a first um, KYT provider, know your transaction provider. You mentioned this already. And with this provider, every transaction that's done with the Minter, like incoming in the beginning and then outgoing also, will be screened uh, with this provider and this will be done in a decentralized manner and more details on this are coming out shortly so this is currently still in the implementation phase but the basic idea is that has been discussed already on the forum that uh, every transaction that's uh, coming into the minter is first uh, subjected to a kyt uh, screening and if the screening is okay the transaction may proceed and otherwise it may not proceed so oh. That's a very, very good way to prevent bad people from uh, using their tainted UTXOs that would cause problems for other people to even bring them into our ecosystem. Because if that's known, then people just won't even try. They will do it with other systems, uh, other DeFi ecosystems where those checks are not done. And now, in my personal view, if we do this, we don't really do anything that would harm normal users from uh, participating in the ecosystem because normal users, most of them will either hold Bitcoin from a long time ago that they've mined themselves or that they've acquired at an exchange, for example. And those Bitcoin are clean. When I get the Bitcoin from an exchange, they are clean. When you mine them yourself, they are clean. So those things are cases where 
there's definitely no problem. And that's why those people won't be affected by this check. Now, one of the arguments that are going against those checks are is that those checks are not decentralized. I mean, granted, to some degree, this may be true, but what we want to do is to have multiple of those KYT providers from different regions in the world being used jointly in the future. I mean, this is a process to get there. Currently, I think the plan is to start with one, but there will there is the plan to have multiple in the future, meaning that multiple would be consulted and then there's some consensus being done on the result and then we go with the majority, for example. I mean, those things are still to be this defined in detail, but the idea is really uh, make it as decentralized as possible. And that's what we are working on now. Some are new and these teams are working very intensely on this. And I think you will hear more about this sooner or later uh, when the whole thing will launch. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, so, so I personally think it's a good way to do these KYT checks because they don't harm honest users and I do not expect any kind of censorship from the KYT providers. And also, if you look at the whole uh, regulatory situation in the recent years and particularly in the more recent uh, past, uh, uh, there's a very, very strong tightening of regulatory regimes all around the world. Uh, being observable, which means US and Europe uh, are coming up with stricter regulations for crypto, China banned cryptocurrency and things like this. So, so there's lots of regulatory scrutiny currently going on and there will be there will be regulations that will require something like this sooner or later, I would game. So we are here, the first DeFi protocol that's doing something advanced like this. And I think we won't be the only one other people will have to do something similar sooner or later because of regulatory changes all around the world. And we, I uh, think, are the first ones, and I hope this will give us an edge over competing ecosystems. Mm -hmm. Okay, Dieter. Yeah, thank you so much for this, for your 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 thoughts and your opinion about this topic, like this hot topic that we need to address. And um, my, my next question is about the recently announcement about the Ethereum um, forum that you uh, did uh, the day before yesterday, you have created a definitive forum technical work group about uh, blockchain. Uh, my friend Minda said uh, it's like uh, the singularity group, right? <laughs> it was really good the, the way that he, he pronounced uh, the, this initiative. Uh, the first meeting is scheduled for the next Wednesday. Um, is Ethereum is the first candidate after the Bitcoin integration. Uh, yeah, please, Dieter, tell us more about uh, this ETH integration process on ICP, the different mm -hmm. phases. Um, now, once you have advanced a lot with the BTC integration and solved many problems and challenges, uh, the ETH integration is easier because you started the, the way with, with the Bitcoin or it's totally different. Uh, yeah, if you can dig in more in, in this initiative, that is, I think is really mm -hmm. cool and for the next steps for, for that. Not only Ethereum, the idea is to do like a multi-chain and inter interoperability with in, uh, internet computer and other uh, blockchains. Yeah, I'm very happy to shed some light on what's happening with the Ethereum integration currently, and then also what an outlook on what we could do in the future. Let's start with Ethereum currently, because it's a currently hot topic. So the Ethereum blockchain, as we all know, is the first smart contract blockchain in the world. It has most uh, market capitalization, total value locked. So it's a very important blockchain for the internet computer to integrate with. 
That's why it's the next candidate for an integration. And we think we want we should have a native integration similar to Bitcoin in terms of trust properties, meaning that there should be no intermediary required for the integration. And now there's multiple ways how you can achieve this. And let me just briefly uh, outline those. So one way would be to do it in the same way, a similar way as Bitcoin to run a fully Ethereum node on chain. This would be the best, of course. But in contrast to Bitcoin, which has around 10 gigabytes of state, Ethereum has 150 gigabytes of states of state, mm -hmm. which doesn't fit into a canister currently. And also with indices and stuff on top of it, it might uh, go, uh, yeah, it, it goes closer to what the subnet can handle. I think it would technically be feasible to build something potentially, but I think we would have quite some challenges to overcome and it would take us quite long to get there to have this, uh, to have such an implementation being done. So for this reason, because it would take very long, we would also need to uh, re-implement part of the wire protocol of Ethereum and run this Ethereum adapter to get blocks into the smart contract. So we would need to do a similar architecture as for Bitcoin. So we would have, I would estimate much more than a year, one and a half years or so until we have something running and there is relatively high risk involved that uh, we hit some limitations that take more time to fix and to overcome them. So one to two years, maybe the time frame this would take. For this reason, we said we take a different approach to Ethereum integration, namely, I would say the next best approach. The next best approach is to not have a full node on chain. Yeah, well, one, one, to one, have... sorry, Dieter, one, uh, let me interrupt one thing. Uh, yeah. The maximum capacity now is 60 gigabytes or because you mentioned Bitcoin is 30 to 40 and it's able to, to do it through the smart contracts. The yeah, so now a smart contract can hold 48 gigabyte of stable memory and 4 gigabyte of heap because 32 bit wasn't. And Ethereum has a state of 150 gigabytes. So just the try with the latest, just the latest uh, try state. And this goes well beyond a smart contract currently. I mean, we could lift those uh limitations and we will do in the future but this doesn't happen so quickly because yeah you don't double from today to tomorrow because you want to observe you want to tweak you want to optimize mm -hmm. so this is a process we have and this process was yeah this process means we would have we would have obstacles when you want to do this and so we wouldn't currently be able to have one canister holding the bitcoin state maybe a multi-canister architecture to have the ethereum state try split over multiple canisters would work but it's also a decent engineering effort so it's it would be a rather complex engineering project we would need to port an ethereum consensus client an execution client to the blockchain we would need to um overcome all the limitations we currently have so i would say it would be a very big project it would eventually be possible to get there but i think not in the time frame we want to have the ethereum integration for this reason, what we currently propose is to go in some way an easier way, namely to run Ethereum nodes within IC nodes on one subnet. So every IC node of a subnet would run one Ethereum full node, which means one Ethereum consensus client and execution client. And those clients would all independently connect randomly into the Bitcoin, uh, into the Ethereum network and synchronize with the Ethereum network. So then we would have Full nodes, for example, running Geth uh, or Aragon um, execution clients and Prism or Lighthouse or Nimbus 
consensus clients, and those would then be complete, full, completely normal, regular Ethereum nodes. And we then can, from a smart contract, call those Ethereum nodes using HTTPS outcalls to localhost, which means the outcalls would not go to the public internet to a server, but they would go on the respective co-located server on each Ethereum on each IC node where the outcall is made. And so on the subnet where you make this outcall, uh, every node would make an HTTP call to the uh, Ethereum node that sits on the same node as the IC uh, process. And then we would make a query there. The same one would get back the same response. And then those responses would go through consensus. And if everything works out and there is no attacks or dishonest node providers, we get consensus on those results. And uh, under the usual trust model of the IC and have done a secure decentralized Ethereum request. Just not an to an Ethereum on-chain node, but to co-located off-chain nodes. But essentially it's very similar in terms of trust model because whenever a node is trusted, the Ethereum node therein is trusted. So if you have at most less than one third of the IC nodes being compromised, this solution works as well uh, as the solution of having a node on chain. So it's exactly or essentially the same trust model. There are some more difficulties we need to overcome in terms of both blockchains, like both the IC and the Ethereum chain being asynchronous networks. So it might happen that calls hit Ethereum nodes on different states. So there we need to do some implementation in order to make certain calls that are, that are not deterministic in this model, deterministic. And one of the, for those who know Ethereum, so in Ethereum, you can make calls uh, to query the blockchain state using the latest parameter for the chain height. And latest then could mean a different chain height on different nodes that you query. And this we need to change by replacing latest, latest with a concrete uh, block number of the Ethereum uh, blockchain on which we have consensus, which means the lower one, the lower uh, chain tip of all the nodes uh, in this Ethereum subnet. And then we can overcome this and have um, deterministic calls for all the calls. And then we have essentially a very similarly powerful integration as a node that's running on the blockchain. And I think it's more performant than this because we can get 100 to 150 queries or transaction submissions. So queries in the sense of, uh, Queries used done via update calls. So uh, requests to the Ethereum blockchain uh, that canisters can use. That's the capacity of HTTP outcalls, like 100 to 150 roughly, depending on subnet size. So that would be also the capacity for the Ethereum subnet, of course, depending on how much payload those uh, calls hold. So it would be a very performant integration according to our plan, because we leverage this outcalls uh, feature that has a good throughput. And it would also be a reasonable amount of effort. So the, the main challenges from an engineering point are to run those Ethereum nodes. So they need to be isolated or sandboxed similarly, similarly to our WASM sandbox, because there might be some vulnerability in the Ethereum implementation and we don't want anybody to exploit this and for example, escape their process and get uh, make a privilege escalation within the IC replicas. And that's why we need to sandbox those processes. There are different options to do this, like doing security enhanced Linux, SE Linux sandboxing, like we do for the WASM sandbox. 
we can go even further and employ uh, full nested virtualization within uh, the ICOS and have a virtual machine being spun up there where the Ethereum nodes, uh, where the Ethereum processes are in, which means we have another Linux kernel that's running in a nested way using harder virtualization. So it's much harder to break out of this one. So that's currently um, the design questions we have to solve. Another one is IPv4, uh, because currently, or in general, the internet computer is an IPv6 native network because we want to scale so much that we think we don't have IPv4 addresses for, for all of our nodes. And also IPv6 is the future of the internet, but currently there's still many services out there that mainly use IPv4 and Ethereum is one of them. So with Ethereum, you don't get far with IPv6 only. That's why we also need IPv4 in one way or the other, for example, assigning native IPv4 addresses to the nodes of the subnet or doing a NUT-based solution where every node uh, can use another node, another machine in the same data center to NUT uh, out the traffic to the uh, public internet. So there's different options here. This is the other bigger building block we need to build here. And then uh, we would, yeah, uh, but there's not so much to build in the smart contract space. I mean, there is some some things we need to do in terms of pre and post processing of the requests and responses. We want to offer next to the JSON RPC API, which is the base API we want to offer on chain because it's the API that every, everybody in the Ethereum world speaks. We want to offer next to this API, an API that, sim that simplifies transaction management because it's not so easy to get your transactions submitted in Ethereum because of the gas prices, gas fees, and denounces. You need to handle this somehow and we want to simplify our clients' lives by offering a service for this. Mm -hmm. And all of this that I explained now is the native full-blown integration with the Ethereum network. And this is what we call phase two. Phase two, because there's also phase one. The reason is phase two will not be delivered within a couple of months. This will take yeah, a couple of more months. So let's say, third quarter of this year might be realistic. But yeah, this is not the commitment. This is a rough guess. It, it depends on how other things are getting prioritized. But yeah, we work on it with high priority. Okay. Now, because of this, it takes still a couple of months to do that. We said we want to have a phase one where we do an integration with a less strong trust model using Ethereum API cloud providers like Infura, QuickNode, and the like or there's many smaller ones that we can use. And then uh, one can use HTTP outcalls to those providers, make queries, query, make the same query to multiple providers. And by this also run an in-canister consensus protocol if everybody says the same. Uh, we trust the value that, that's uh, responded. And if not, uh, we don't. And via this, we can get very quickly a phase one in implementation based on which people can start implementing their smart contracts already now. And then they can switch over to the phase two API once it's available and those two APIs will be very similar. So in essence, both APIs are the JSON RPC API and there are some differences uh, in the phase one that you will need to account for, but they are not so major that's an issue. So you can switch easily from one API to the other once phase two is there then do some more testing and then uh, activate your service for phase two. So you can have a rather seamless transition transition here. And that that's what we want to have here, like bringing something very quickly to the community 
uh, that's not the strongest trust model out there. Mm -hmm. But then, uh, meanwhile, working already with high pressure on the best uh, possible integration with the strongest possible trust model uh, that's then coming later, and we bridge the gap with the first one. Yeah, that that's the idea. In order to uh, cut down the time, people they can uh, yeah the time to market of various services who want to use Ethereum. Yeah. No, it's like half cents divided in different phases. Uh, I thought like it's easier because I think it's like, uh, okay, the, then Definity has achieved the Bitcoin integration. Now Ethereum is something similar, but I see like it's a, a big challenge. It's totally different the way that approach for, for the Ethereum. And, uh, but as well, the, the reward is even bigger, right? If you can do something yes. like because you can avoid all the gas fees, the high gas fees on Ethereum if you're doing like a, in, in internet computer. I'm not sure if the idea maybe is do like a, a CK ETH in the future or, or something like that, like uh, talking like this. Uh, but yeah, that's that's something something uh, amazing. Uh, for sure takes time. I mean, but as you mentioned, all the details uh, is a big challenge, but I think for sure definitely can address and start for, for the uh, easiest steps. You know, like uh, as you mentioned, the uh, quick notes or Infura or other different ways to do that, and then go to the HTTPS outcalls and more complex things have have sense. Um, and uh, my other uh, question is, what is the next after uh, Ethereum? Which other blockchain would you want to integrate into into the Bitcoin? Do you have any uh, favorite projects on blockchain on ICP that in your dreams is like, wow, I I would like to do the integration in the future of this project, that project, or or not. Now you're just focusing on Ethereum and you don't mind the future or what is exactly your... Yeah. This so is very a good question. more, more yeah. personal question, more personal opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Very good question. So before answering it, let me just uh, make one more comment to the phase one. So phase one is currently mainly driven by our community. So Rock Labs, for example, has done some implementation uh, that will allow this integration based on HTTP outcalls and has made available this to the community. And uh, another community project uh, funded by some IC devs bounty has already implemented some APIs uh, exposed by that are exposed in a canister to help Modoko developers to get access to basic Ethereum functionality like Ketcha caching and things like this they need to use the Ethereum integration. So the community has been very active here and I'm very happy about the progress that has been made. Um, that's just something I wanted to note before answering your question. So the question now, what's next after Ethereum? So of course, currently the focus officially is Ethereum only, but of course we think uh, to keep our architecture open, like for example, to be able to spin up next to the Ethereum node, other nodes as well, with lower effort than the initial implementation than we have already IPv4 networking. We have, for example, an orchestration system for VMs where you can spin up such systems. So we are thinking of this, we are keeping it in the back of our head, but there is no official chains yet known which we want to integrate with. My personal opinion, my personal opinion is that the Ethereum layer twos are very important because there's lots of DeFi going on there. And, and I think those ones would be very, very interesting to integrate with. Otherwise, it might be interesting to integrate with other chains that are integrating with lots of other chains. So to tap into a sort of a multiplier, so to say, uh, to, to get integrated with more. So that will be the other argument here. Uh -huh. okay. Like to 
integrate with chains that, that try to be integrating chains, so to say. Yeah. People also like mention me like, hey, what, what, when like the, uh, any uh, meme coin integrated with ICP, maybe Dogecoin, Shiva, Inu or something like that. Uh, yeah. But... So, so if you want to do something like Dogecoin, it's a proof of work coin. That would be a similar undertaking to Bitcoin. Of course, we all have already a lot, but it so it is an early fork from Bitcoin. So it's not a thing you get done very quickly. It would be quite some effort if you want to do the same trustless kind of integration. Uh -huh. Now for the future, for other integrations, there are different ways how to do them. So there is the approach you could run a full node, but also currently there's a very interesting development going on in many ecosystems, namely that the light client, uh, the, the light client uh, development is catching up and more and more chains are working on light clients. And the light client would allow us to run with a less effort, if there's a Rust implementation, deploy a light client essentially on chain and provide a mechanism to ingest blocks into this light client. And then we could have also trustless integration in the light client trust model. Unfortunately, this is currently far from um, in a state where we could use it for Ethereum. We looked at this in detail, but in the future, it might be interesting to use this for blockchains that offer light client ecosystems. Uh, where you have light client nodes publicly available that you can query, because then you can have a rather low effort, depending on how you do it, uh, to integrate with a new blockchain. But currently, we're not, we are not there yet in terms of development of the light client ecosystems all around the different blockchains. But once this is there, we will have ways to do this in a in a more easygoing way, but also with a lower throughput. So for Ethereum, we want high throughput because it's the, the main blockchain probably to integrate with. So we want the high throughput integration. And that's why we're going with the currently thought of approach. Mm -hmm. Awesome, perfect. And uh, just like to change another uh, topic, this is like a, a, a nice initiative. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the uh, initiative that, that you are working on, the Hackathon Blockchain Education Summit uh, at the University of Oxford, uh, next 28 to 30 March uh, with 40K in awards. I'm not sure if it's like a, it's like a, your initiative, Definity, or we are like partnership with the Oxford and maybe just for the audience, uh, I post the, the uh, message on LinkedIn and there are like a few people interested in participate. Uh, if you can have like a hint or uh, dig in a little bit more about this this hackathon, the blockchain uh, education yes. summit at uh, Oxford. It's my pleasure to do so. So uh, this is all part. So what you mentioned, this hackathon is part of the 2023 blockchain in education summit and digital civilization conference. Those two conferences are hosted by University of Oxford, as you said, March 28 to 30. And this is all organized by uh, Aaron Walsh from the IED Foundation. So the, uh, that's a foundation that's uh, into, uh, into education and using new technologies and blockchain for uh, bringing forward education. And this hackathon is organized by Aaron Walsh and Definity is a partner here. And what the hackathon is about to start uh, working on what uh, is called a knowledge token. So this knowledge token is uh, something that uh, will 
drive the future of education. And the idea is that the knowledge token is an educational stable coin that can be offered by educational institutions. And then students receive those stable coin for, uh, for uh, finishing educational tasks and then can redeem those stable coin for other educational services or even other services, like for example, buying, buying a snack, but then for a lower face value. And this educational stable coin is something that Aaron wants to build on the internet computer because it's the only blockchain that in his view is uh, scalable enough to host this. And that's why we have a close collaboration with Aaron Walsh from the IED Foundation on uh, this educational stablecoin project, this knowledge token project. And yeah, we support him with uh, yeah, contributing to the discussions and architecture and so on, and also with grants. And he is uh, driving forward this whole project and also organizing the hackathon now where people can start hacking uh, first versions of this academic stablecoin, this knowledge token. That's a very exciting development. There's a grand vision behind this. It will take years to fulfill, to, to build it up. But uh, Aaron has been working on this for quite some time now. It's, a, it's now his full-time project, I think. And this is gaining traction. And yeah, Oxford will be the first hackathon, I think, in this space. And there is a plan to have further hackathons whenever there is these uh, conferences again. So there's a series of conferences. I think the next one will be in Zurich later this year in September or so. And then there will likely be also another hackathon at this point in time. Oh, so nice. this whole ecosystem is now slowly bootstrapping and yeah, slowly starting with few partners and then growing over time. It's a long-term project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love the idea, the education stable coin. I'm working with different uh, universities in North America, UBC, BCIT, as well as uh, Stanford, uh, Waterloo, uh, Quantic um, Business and, and Technology School. Um, yeah, there, there are a lot, like Duke University, New York. And, and I think this is pretty cool uh, if you, we can implement and escalate uh, more in, in uh, you know, in general, in, for in the global way, as you mentioned, it's like a long-term uh, project. But yeah, that's super interesting. The education stable coin and this project. That's yes, and the project. I think it's really exciting. So it's really Aaron's uh, main project currently that he will pursue in the next couple of years. And he has the grand vision of helping academia everywhere around the world, particularly also in poorer countries. Uh huh. In poor countries, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds, sounds. And to help people, uh, help help the world getting more educated via this scheme, where via this system. Yeah. Uh -huh. so there's really a grand vision behind it, and we are very happy that he's building on the internet computer and choosing the internet computer as the main technology vehicle uh, for his academic stablecoin. So that's a really an exciting project to keep the eyes on. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Yeah, and keep me posted all these things and new updates because uh, we can for sure escalate more in, in, in South America, in Latin America, in North America, in Africa, in other countries. Mm, definitely, yeah. I'm working on, on, on different uh, initiatives for universities and education. Sounds good. Um, just for, for finish, uh, our uh, great and fabulous conversation, Dieter, it's super interesting, all the topics that you, you are talking about. Um, this is just more fun questions. Just for the normally, I finish the, these conversations with uh, the Finity members and tech members uh, with like a funny questions about the ICP ecosystem. I'm curious, uh, which internet computer application do you do you use daily, 
and which is your your favorite project or that project that you think can be more successful, like possible the killer app on internet computer? This is my first question. So the killer project I like. So there's a couple of projects I like a lot. So, so OpenChat is one of my favorites because it's showing how you can do social applications, social media applications on the internet computer. Now it's the first one who decentralized using an SNS. So I think that's very exciting. I know the people a bit. So yeah, I really, I really like uh, this project because I think it has lots of potential to show the world, okay, this is how you can do chat. You can have it governed by the end users, owned by the end users, which is now already the case. They could raise quite some funds now with this SNS decentralization. So to keep up developing for the next couple of years. So I like this a lot. The one I use most is probably the NNS frontend dev <laughs> yeah. for obvious reasons. Yeah, and then, but there is lots of other cool things like the other, like Discover is a very nice app, for example. I really like it also. Then uh, the, our Dex is, so I, I'm working quite a bit with DeFi uh, in, in Definity and with the ecosystem. So the Dex is, I think, are very cool. There's different approaches here. Like for example, I see Lighthouse's DEX, which is an order book DEX on chain, which is very nice, completely on chain. Then the other model of Infinity Swap, for example, being a very advanced automated market maker, being fully on chain. And then there is also an upcoming one, which is a hybrid, which is an off chain matcher, but all the clearing is done on chain. So also a very interesting model that allows for high frequency trading and market making better than other models. Uh, with a different trust assumption. So it takes an interesting balance. So that's the Helix markets that will be launching an alpha version sooner or later, I think in the next month. So that's right. also something to keep your eyes on. Yeah, so those are the ones I do like quite a bit and I work also with. And yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Yeah, thank you. That's that's great. And the, another question is um, in terms of the staff or the Finity staff, who is the person you admire the most from the foundation? Or one is uh, one for you, one example uh, that you always learn new things, or one someone like you think, oh wow, this is like a, a good person to to learn more and and, and be close to to them, to, to to yeah, to him or her. Yeah, there's maybe a couple of people here. So for example, Tom, I, I think he has really a, the grand vision of, of all of them. I mean, he built the whole thing up. He raised the funding. He's the chief scientist at the foundation. So I really admire what he has been doing for the foundation in order to get this whole thing bootstrapped and also to have the grand vision of the whole scheme. So so that's Tom. Then there's also Jan. Jan, he, he is one of the world le world's leading cryptographers, and he took on the role of the CTO of the Definity Foundation. I think he does an amazing job here to, to make the right decisions to move the technology landscape of the IC forward. And then, of course, there's, also, there's many more people I, I admire. For example, Manu, he's an engineering director at Definity. I mean, he's doing such a great job in keeping multiple of the engineering teams that are core to the internet computer together and driving the uh, engineering in the core uh, protocol area, like uh, consensus um, and, and execution and those things. And yeah, so, so also worth to be mentioned, so it's very, very um, exciting what, what he's putting, pulling together and also in the CKBTC and BTC area. Okay, nice, yeah. Because I think there's, there's, there's many, many 
people who are great in terms of uh, what they do technically in the foundation. And it's really a great place to work for, for this reason, mainly because you have colleagues who are really, really good technically and then are also nice people. So there's this mix uh, that uh, I think is very specific to the definitive uh, workforce. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's amazing. Amazing answer. <laughs> and uh, the, the last question that I have for you is, uh, are you like ICP eight years young? Are you in this uh, long term? Uh, no, I'm not yet at least. So, so I, I'm not one who was early enough to get the tokens and I, I'm not a token investor myself. So that's why I'm currently not in, but yeah, I might change. Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, yeah. because uh, this is a long-term project that the uh, milestone, no, the, the roadmap is maybe for 2040 or 2038. Uh, what is your opinion about the, the world computer, internet computer in, in, in your forecast for, for the next 15, 20 years? What, oh, that's a very good and tough question. So if everything works out, we will have tens of thousands of nodes, probably quite a different protocol that uh, is more efficient than the current one that handles more nodes, that's more scalable. So yeah, I think there will be lots of evolvement going on, be going on, hopefully many more big applications on there, like applications that are are used on a world scale, like open chat for ideally open chat and those applications growing to a much larger user base, attracting more users who want to govern their own dev and not just use all the off the shelf stuff uh, that the big tech companies offer. So yeah, I really hope that this development is picking up more and more that um, yeah we can in some way compete with big tech companies. So we, the ecosystem, the, our, our dApps can compete with big tech offerings in terms of dApps that people use on a daily basis on a larger scale than today. And what we have seen so far is an amazing growth. Like if you compare the cyclist burn feed, uh, the cyclist burned figures from a year ago to now, it was an amazing growth. And this seems to continue now, and I hope this continues further, like a hockey stick growth uh, that you want for a startup, mm -hmm. that it uh, grows in some point exponentially up and we can scale uh, like crazy and yeah, get cool apps and uh, scale the internet community and make the vision that Dom has been working on now for, and the large team has been working on for more than five, six years, uh, make this a reality. Mm -hmm like all computations running on chain. I mean, this will take some time, but we need to get more and more on chain, particularly the things that people care about and where decentralization is important so that no single big tech player can play those centralized roles in society they are playing now because that's not good for society. So I think it's a very good thing for society if people have their self-governed dApps that they use and not uh, being abused by uh, or their data being abused by all the big tech companies who are just interested in getting all the users data. So I think that's a very good development in Web3 here that we give more power to the people and less power to the big tech companies. Well, thank you so much. Thanks a lot, uh, Dieter Sommer, Senior Technical Programmer Manager at Definity Foundation for your time and, and your interesting answers and uh, yeah, for your transparency and talk about everything. Uh, just not just a technical question, funny question, personal question. I really appreciate it, uh, your time today.
Um, yeah, it's uh, like a real pleasure chatting with you. Not sure if you want to add something uh, to finish, uh, to wrap up for the audience. Yeah, it was a pleasure uh, to be here in your podcast. And thanks for having me, Javier. And anytime again, it was really very much a pleasure to talk to you and to get to know you also. Mm -hmm. Great. Looking awesome. forward to the publishing of the result. Okay, yeah. Normally I publish on Mondays. I think will be published for not this one, for the next Monday. Yeah, I, I let you cool. know for sure. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me and have awesome. a good day. Take care. See you. Bye bye. Thanks. See you. Goodbye.